Good morning. We as a congregation are journeying through Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let me read it to you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week Dave preached on the first one, Wonderful Counselor, and we learned a lot. Today we're going to look at Mighty God. Now, God throughout the Old Testament is seen as a very mighty God. If you remember some of the times when the Bible talks about him, he led the Israelites out of slavery. He led them in the wilderness and offered them manna. He led Jericho, he led Joshua around Jericho. He led various kings as they followed him. But in the Old Testament, we also see that there is free will, that humans have a choice. And so some of those kings that we read about chose to follow God, but some of them did not. But we know when they did choose to follow God, that God was mighty and helped them. And then we turn to the New Testament. What about Jesus? Here in Isaiah, he's called Mighty God. Let's look at one of the texts. This is Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 23. Then he got into the boat with his disciples. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was asleep. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. He replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, just before this, Jesus has done what is very typical. He has healed. He has cast out demons. He... um, was at Peter's house and he um, healed his mother-in-law and the crowds came to him and brought him a lot of folks who needed his special touch and he did what Isaiah said he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases so Jesus has worked basically a lot he has let his ministry go out to others he has touched them He has healed them. He has cast out demons. And the crowd is all around him. He decided, gee, I think it would be better if we went over to the other side. So then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Now, it doesn't actually say, but these are disciples who, many of them were fishermen. They knew how to you know, go out on the lake, drop their nets, get the catch, come back in, and be able to sell it to feed their families and themselves. So most likely, it was probably one of their boats. Um, They were used to this sea. They were used to the storms that would come up, because after all, there are always storms um, throughout uh, nature. And here, they are on the Galilean Sea. Now, I don't know how many of you know, but Galilee, the Galilean Sea is surrounded by kind of a ring of hills. And 
actually the sea is about 700 feet below sea level. So it's very low. So what you do is you get winds going on the top and you get warm air coming up from the sea. And the wind, and the, the wind which is cold and the air which is warm meet each other and form a storm. So the disciples are used to this. But the text says this, a furious storm came up. Now the Greek says it's actually violent shaking. Um, those of us in California are used to violent shaking. We call them earthquakes. <laughs> and we're not quite sure um, if there was an earthquake under the water or what it was, but this was an unusual storm. It was not what the disciples were used to. It was so bad that the water is going over the top of the boat. And the boat probably goes up and down and up and down. Um, if you've ever been on or seen you know, a boat on a stormy ocean, the waves are almost as big, if not bigger, than the ship itself. So it comes up without warning. It's sudden and it's certainly unanticipated by the disciples. But Calvin says it's probably not accidental that God was not ready to permit his son to perish in the water. He had other plans for Jesus. But the disciples don't know that. It comes up and they didn't see it coming at all. Now, we humans are often surprised. Sometimes we're overwhelmed. Sometimes there are storms that, they're not literal storms, but they're storms in our own life. And at night or in the evening, it makes it even more scary. Now, we have, I asked them to put, this is Rembrandt, and Rembrandt's, um, yeah, okay, if I can get it to, maybe I just need to hold it. Okay, here's the boat, and I don't know if you can tell, but there are men up here who are trying to pull the sails in. There are men back here who were trying to wake Jesus. This is Jesus, and it's very difficult, but right about in here is a man who is praying. It's interesting that there are actually 14 men on this boat. There are the 12 disciples, there are Jesus, and then there is the man that is praying. And that is Rembrandt, actually, because Rembrandt knew that when there are storms in one's life, the best thing is to come to Jesus in prayer. And so that particular man is actually kneeling and bowing his head towards Jesus. This is actually the only painting that Rembrandt did of a seascape. But it was so important to him that it shows how he comes to Jesus. Now, Jesus seems to be unsurprised. I mean, after all, he's busy sleeping. Now, I don't know if it was because he was so exhausted that he was sleeping or quite what. But regardless, even though the boat is going up and down and up and down, Jesus appears to be unafraid. Why? Because he trusts in God's care. He knows that God will take care of him. The disciples, on the other hand, are panicking because the boat is being swamped. They feel like they're going to die. Have we ever? Have you ever? Have I ever been in a situation where you feel like, oh dear, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to control things. Things are totally out of my you know, sphere of understanding. 
I'm the kind of person who likes to have things all arranged. When I go on vacation with my family, we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. Even if it includes time just kind of hanging out, that's still part of the thing that I feel comfortable with. Maybe the disciples felt comfortable with, but there are times when we're not comfortable, when things are out of control, when we're not quite sure what to do. The disciples, obviously from the picture, are working their tails off. They're trying their best to get the um, sails down, to get the boat stabilized, maybe even to bail it. And so they can't seem to get over things. Things are still out of control. And so they're concerned. Jesus is sleeping. So they go towards, some of them go towards the back of the boat. And they want him to save them. Now, they anticipate that Jesus will help them. So even though they're fishermen, even though they are used to these kinds of storms, this is unusual. This is beyond their capability. And so they wake Jesus because it's in da- the boat is in danger. And they say to Jesus, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. Now that particular phrase, Lord, save us, has been used by the church throughout the past generations. Lord, save us. That is a cry that I have and that perhaps you have when things are out of control, when they're beyond whatever we're used to, when they are beyond the, our ability to keep things going. We're just totally overwhelmed the way the disciples were. And so they say, Lord, save us. Now notice they don't say, Jesus, save us. They don't say, teacher, save us. They don't say, rabbi, save us. They say, Lord, save us. Because they instinctively understood that Jesus was Lord. He was more than just a man. He was also God. And so they appealed to him, Lord, save us. Now, Jesus gets up. And he has two rebukes. The first one is, he says to the disciples, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? He's concerned that the disciples seem to have left their faith back on the shore. They don't seem to have very much faith. Calvin tells us that perhaps they're timid, or maybe they're cowards, or faint of heart. But here we have a tension between faith and fear. Now normally that tension is okay. It's okay to say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's okay to have one level of fear, but this is so high. It's dread. It's beyond the bounds that normally would come up. And Jesus is saying, don't you trust me? Don't you trust that I can do things, that I can control things? You see, it's a a statement of discipleship. And the church has always seen this passage for two things. The first one is for discipleship. Because Jesus is calling the disciples to a deeper relationship. He's calling the disciples to rest upon him, upon his abilities, rather than resting upon their own. He calls it us to do the same thing. But discipleship 
sometimes involves risk. It sometimes involves certain demands that we're not used to. It sometimes wants us to reach out to others or to reach out to God or to comfort or to challenge or to guide and direct. You see, discipleship is not something comfortable that we sit in our pews or we sit at home in our quiet times and enjoy. Now we can do that, but it's more than that. It's also, there's one church that I served, I loved it because exiting the parking lot, there was a sign and the sign said, entering the mission field. That is what happens. We come here to be refreshed, to be uh, deepened in our understanding, but then we are sent out as disciples to enter the mission field, to carry the good news to those around us. So Jesus rebukes the disciples. That's the first one. The second one demonstrates that not just discipleship, but that he, in fact, deserves the title Mighty God. Because he turns to the wind and the waves and he rebukes them. And it was calm. Now, this is not more than just a calm ocean. It's a calmness that actually is so complete that it passes their understanding. It's the peace that passes understanding. You see, Jesus has power over the sea. Jesus can calm the waters. Now, for those who were Jews at this time, the waters were unknown. They didn't know what was underneath the surface. They felt it was, and they believed it was, a place of evil. And so this is the evil, you know, coming up and splashing over and washing over the boat. And Jesus calms it all. His power is not just over the sea, but his power is over evil. His power is to reject evil, to overcome evil. So this isn't so much a miracle as it is a display of Jesus' power as the mighty God. So it challenges us and it helps us to understand that whatever storms we might encounter, Jesus provides a calmness. So whatever our storms are, whether they're finances or relationships or perhaps life stages, if you're trying to deal with teenagers or at my stage trying to deal with elderly parents um, or even as I am losing a little bit of your physical ability, you see that I walk with a cane, usually no matter what storms, what challenges there might be, Jesus provides that calmness. We can count on his provision. So even as he calls the disciples, as he calls us to discipleship, Jesus looks after his own. He calls us not only to go out, but to trust in God, to trust the mighty God, to trust Jesus who shows his power over nature. Will you pray with me? God, we are thankful that you are the mighty one, that we can come to you in whatever storms of life we might have, that we can come to you and know that you provide for us. You provide a calmness and a peace.
And we come now before you to celebrate your death and resurrection. And we pray that you as God the Father will help us. That you as God the Son will comfort us. That you as God the Holy Spirit will direct us. For we ask now that you will set this bread and this juice aside to their holy use. That they might draw us closer to you. And that we might become better disciples. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.